Church, the world needs Jesus right now so badly. It always does and it always will, but right now we see so much hurt, so much fighting, so much anger, so much disparity, so much violence, so much racism, so much evil just bubbling to the surface right now. Our world needs Jesus more than ever, and that means the world needs us to show Jesus and to live Jesus more than ever. And the world doesn't need a kind of Jesus that's like a, a wishy-washy, gentle soul that just says, oh, just get along, just be nice, just be kind. That's not what Jesus was. That's a false representation of how people picture him. He was one who spoke truth. He was one who knew exactly what to say. He's one who had the biggest heart and who also stood the most firm on the things that mattered. He's this perfect balance. We talk about him being prous, being meek. We use that word. It's a scriptural word from the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And Jesus was meek. That word represents the perfect balance between two extremes, excessive anger and angerlessness. You know, we've talked about this before. So that balance point, knowing exactly what to be angry about and how to be angry and the extent to be angry and when is it appropriate and when is it right and how do we put voice to it and actions to it? Those things the world needs. And those are exactly the things that Jesus offers. Our world needs Jesus. And if it had been his plan that he would just stay and keep managing his kingdom forever, then he would have done that. But instead, he made the choice, the deliberate choice within God's sovereign plan to ascend again to the Father and to give his spirit to all of his people. This promise is for you and for your children and for those who are far off. That's what Peter says. So for all of Jesus's people to carry his spirit and to carry him, to carry his message and carry his lifestyle, his actions, his love everywhere they go. And so this is a time in history, uh, like many others, where God's people are called to represent that Jesus. Not a Jesus that just says, oh, I hope we can all get along, and not a Jesus that is uh, an aggressive, angry, judging Jesus, but the Jesus who gave his life so that others might live. Uh, this time is made for Christians to stand for truth and love. And I pray that we will. I pray that we represent Christ that way. I think too often we fall back on our own experiences with what to do. Well, I, I've experienced this. has been my life. So as far as I can know or as far as I can see, this is the best way to do things. Or we fall back on um, our politics and say, well, this is what I believe is the right way to run government or to manage people or to relate to one another. Uh, we can fall back even on a religion and say, these are the things that we're supposed to do and these are the things that are not supposed to be done. But as soon as we're like falling back on our patterns, we're not open to the Spirit speaking. We're not open to leading in the moment. We're like reverting, we're shutting down, we're isolating ourselves. Whereas God says, follow me. Jesus says, follow me. Whoever doesn't pick up his cross daily and follow me is not worthy of me. So Jesus is looking for listeners so that he can speak to us through his spirit in us, through the word of God, and so that we can be led in the right direction. These are such complicated and painful and traumatic and tragic times for our country, for the world, for us as believers. We need the Holy Spirit's leading more than we need our own opinions. 
more than we need our different politics. And those things change over time. We have to recognize that. I don't see all the things the same way I did personally five years ago or 10 years ago. So as I grow, I learn. And so I don't want to assume and I don't want you to assume that today you know fully or I know fully how we should act, how we should respond, all we need to know. All we know is what we know so far. And so I want to dig into God's word and say, what can you teach us so that we can grow further? Where can we go from here, Jesus? Where do you want us to step in, stand up, speak up, get on our knees and pray? What do you want? And, and that's what we have to do as Christians. Our opinions change, our politics change, all sorts of things change, but the word of God never changes. And if we're going to be led into a wise course of action any particular day, but especially in you know, crisis times, it's gonna, our wisdom is going to come from relying on something far beyond our opinions, something that stood the test of time, that has been proven to be wisdom. And as we accept and adopt God's truth, then we'll find out how to apply it in our own day and age. And so that's what I want to do. It's the only way I know how. How do I find truth when I don't know the answers? I go back to the Word of God. Jesus did not live in this fancy and privileged place in history or location in history. The time and place where he lived was politically charged. It was racially charged. It was a violent time filled with lots of fear, lots of governments being overthrown, lots of feuding, lots of lawlessness. It was a religiously charged time. Like Jesus lived in that time, and yet he didn't end up as one of the people that just ran away from it all and just avoided it and put his head in the sand. He didn't do that. And he also wasn't one of the ones killing people to make his point. He found a way to walk through it by standing up for what was right, by sacrificing of himself so that others could see God's love. And that's what changed the world. In his time, that's what others, like Gandhi or Martin Luther King Jr., what they have emulated to be able to change the world in their eras. And that's what we need to do if we're going to be any impact for good in the world that we live in today. We need to watch the master at work, be his disciples, be his followers, and just follow him in his example. The way he stood is something that we can learn a lot from. And so what I'd like to do is just read a story from Jesus and uh, six or seven points that stood out to me I want to highlight so we don't miss them. You'll probably catch them as we go through yourself and you maybe you'll find a dozen more, but these points I think we have to focus on and we cannot miss. So I want to read it, I want to highlight those points, and then I want to ask us just to think about what are we going to do with it? How do we apply Jesus' wisdom to our day and age? So this story I want to read is in Luke chapter 10. <clears throat> you can read it along with me if you'd like. Uh, it starts in verse 25 and it goes through verse 37. Uh, this is a story uh, that um, is a story that is rooted in violence. It is a story that has uh, racial overtones to it, a long history actually of racism and violence between those peoples. Um, this is uh, a story that talks about privilege. This is a story that talks about the outcasts, the marginalized. Uh, this is a story that talks about practical, hands-on faith from the least likely sources. That's what we need to be. We need to live 
as the least likely examples of love that somehow have love from God to give in a time that's racially charged with violence and politics and religion and privilege and minorities all in the mix. This is the cultural context that Jesus is speaking to as he's talking to his first audience. This are, these are the connotations of this particular story. And so it makes it perfectly fitting. Jesus is not just, hey, it's all going to be okay. Just love each other. Jesus is specific, precise, and profound. So let me just read it for us and then let's highlight it and we'll think about it and see what God has to say to us individually. So Luke 10, 25, behold, a lawyer stood up. So in the crowd stood up and put Jesus to the test, wanted to test him. He said, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? What do you think? What's your opinion? And the lawyer answered, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He quotes the Shema and loving your neighbor from Leviticus. This is good law. He's right. So what does Jesus say? You've answered correctly. You got it. That is the point. So do this and you will live conversation is rooted in eternal life. Like it's the big questions, questions. What's the meaning of life? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to live? How do I make sure my soul is okay in the afterlife? What does it look like to really live an eternal life and to live eternally? Like that's the question that's being asked here. And Jesus says, you're right. Love God with everything you've got and love your neighbors with everything you've got. Do it and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, and that's often what we do in these times of argument and debate and tension, we justify our own positions. We don't listen and learn. We defend ourselves. We encamp. We justify. He attempts that. We do it all the time. He says to Jesus, well, then who is my neighbor? Like, where do I have to act this way? Who am I responsible for? And Jesus tells the story. Jesus says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and along the way he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And so likewise a Levite, <clears throat> when he came to that place and he saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan as he journeyed, he came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and he bound up his wounds. He poured on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal, and he brought him to an inn and he took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So Jesus asks, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, well, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Do it. Do it. 
Do you see the overarching difference in questions between the lawyer's question and Jesus's final question? The lawyer asks, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus doesn't answer that question. He tells a story and then he asks, who was the neighbor? Who was the neighbor to the man who was in need? We ask the question, like, who's, who's with me? We ask the question, what does it mean to be white? What does it mean to be black? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a person of color? What does it mean to be American? What does it mean to be Democrat or Republican, to be liberal? Because we ask these questions, like, want to know, like, who's in my club? Who am I responsible for? Who do I agree with? Who am I against? That's not what Jesus is even interested in answering. He says, put that to the side. Who are we a neighbor to? Love your neighbor as yourself. It's the people that we're going to come across as we journey down the road. And all of us of all different walks of life, from Levites to Samaritans to priests to anyone, is going to come across situations on our way where we either just walk around it or we have compassion and we step into it. Jesus calls us to be a neighbor, not to define where the boundaries are, Yes, we recognize racial backgrounds. We recognize beliefs and ages and genders, all these beautiful, diverse things that God has created. We see them and we recognize them, but we're not trying to find out which ones we belong to so that we can defend that group or so we can just agree with that group. Because when it comes to living our lives, whatever humans we're around that are in need those are the ones that we're to be neighbors to. This ultimately is the Christian's creed, the motto. Like, we are called to stand alongside the oppressed. The people of God from all the way through the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament, Judeo-Christian, the whole heritage has always been about God standing with the oppressed and calling his people to stand alongside and to stand up for the oppressed the widow, the orphan, the foreigner living in your country, the weak, the poor, blessed are the poor. That's always been God's heart to stand up for the marginalized and the weak. And so that remains the Christian command. Jesus reaffirms this. He says that's what it means. That's what eternal life looks like when you see it in someone living here. It doesn't mean just someone who's going to live our lives and can be bad and eventually eternal life means we get out of this crazy world. No, we live like eternal life people in this world by coming across situations and saying this matters and it breaks my heart. Compassion, not avoidance. You know, we're not called to just look at something and say, oh, well, that's for someone else to handle. Not if we can see it. If we see it, then it's there for us to see. Can we respond to the situations that we see with the same compassion that this Samaritan did? Do you recognize also that the Samaritan here loved with all of his heart and soul and mind and strength? He had compassion. His heart broke. We're called to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength. With everything you've got, love God. That's where things start. And then love all the people that he's made in his image. 
Whoever they are, whenever you come across them, love them with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. So he loves with his heart deeply enough to overcome the racial divide. The Jews and the Samaritans had been warring at each other. They were originally both part of the Jewish kingdom and then it was split. There was civil war and they warred against each other, killing each other. Civil war. Jewish people against Jewish people. And eventually those kingdoms were thrown down and then you, you have this restoration to the temple. But you still have these outcasts and then you have... Jerusalem, and you have them living in uneasy tension next to one another. And the religious leaders, the political leaders, they pass by in this story. And yet it's the person who is marginalized, the second-class citizen, who actually stepped up and did what was right. So it took a change of mind for that Samaritan to look past the racial boundaries. It took a change of heart for him to have compassion and to let that love compel him to love with all his strength. He had, you know, his animal there. He loaded this person up. He had wine probably to clean out the wounds. <clears throat> he had money to put him up in an inn. He used it. He just used it on the need at hand because that's what he was there for. He was journeying along the road that God had led him along and he responded. All his heart, all his soul, all his mind, all his strength. He cared for this person with his own hands and came back afterwards to make sure that things were okay. He didn't just help for a minute and then walk away. This is the example that Jesus gives us. Can you also see the difference between the fight and flight and stand? And that's that word prouse, you know, blessed are the meek. Jesus is prouse. He is this perfect stability, you know, Perfect strength, divine strength, but not impulsive, not passive. We see the aggressive, these robbers, they see someone who is weak and they take advantage. They nearly take his life. They beat this man down in the street and leave him for dead. The aggression. What does the, the Samaritan do? Does he go and find them and kill them? No, he sees the person who has the need and he meets the need. The Levites, the priests in this story, they were the privileged. And for whatever religious reasons, whether they couldn't become impure, whether they had some place to be hastening on to, whatever their reasons were, they sidestepped the problem of the man dying in the street. And in this situation, they did not love their neighbor as themselves. And they didn't love God with all their strength and love this man as themselves. And so they aren't complimented, you know. They're said, they're used as an example of what not to do. So we as people of God, we certainly can love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. But if we sidestep the problems that are so obviously in front of us, then we're not acting like the Samaritan. And Jesus wants to know who was the neighbor to this man not who is my neighbor so I can know who I need to take care of. So do we see all of this? We see at the end, he says, go and do likewise. This isn't just a, a mental exercise. This isn't a case study that Jesus is just saying, okay, well, think about this. And I hope you find some way to apply it. He's saying, go and do this. See the needy and care for them. So with all of those thoughts there, I 
want to ask us to apply it to ourselves. What is it going to look like to go and do likewise for you or for me? How will we love the people around us who are in need with all of our heart? Well, if our heart doesn't break, it probably means that we're not listening to them or hearing the stories or being exposed. So our isolation of ourselves in safe, protective bubbles is always going to block our heart being broken. We don't know what we don't see, and we don't see what we're not willing to look at. What are you and I willing to read, to watch, to listen to? What are we willing to learn from? Whose stories are we willing to hear, to see those who are lying bloody in the street? Because it's in that moment that the Holy Spirit in us will respond with compassion. So our isolation will prevent us from loving God and loving our neighbor with everything we've got. And we need to find ways to expose ourselves to the stories of the people in need. Many ways to do it. I encourage us to think about that. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul. Our soul, the Bible uses that word to kind of define who we are as a person, our personality. So if you have a certain personality, a certain set of natural gifts or talents, that's what you offer to the world. And that's how God has made you. And those are skills and gifts you can lend to those who don't have it. If you have financial resources, you can give those to people in need. If you have influence in certain positions, you can offer that as something that you personally bring to the table. That's what the soul means, like you personally, not just as a a generic person, but personally, specifically. If you're good at debating and arguing, where can you find places that your voice can be heard so you can make a rational argument for what needs to be seen by those who need to understand? Lawmakers, difference makers whomever, our communities, the people around us. For those of us that spend our, our, our mornings in prayer with the Lord or our evenings or gather for prayer meetings or those who just talk to the Lord all day long, that prayer, your personal prayer time with God is part of what you personally can bring. You can bring your prayers to the people who are in need to anyone who's oppressed in any situation. This applies to all the racial tensions in our country. All of these things apply to still the coronavirus that's going on in our country. It applies to so many different things going on. We need to recognize who am I and what do I bring. And whether it's a small thing or a great thing or anything in between, we need to bring it to the table and offer it as a resource for God to take care of those who need to be taken care of. So all of our heart, all of our soul, Uh, All of our strength and all of our mind, our strength. What are you doing with your hands? What are you lifting? Who are you hugging? The coronavirus kind of puts a limitation on that. But in these times of anger and hurt, sometimes a hug is the most therapeutic thing. What are you lifting? What are you carrying? Where are you standing? What are you sharing? Who are you housing? Right? Our, our strength. How are we using our bodies? Where are we going? What prayer gatherings are we showing up to physically so that we can be there to pray for God's deliverance and His mercy and His powerful change? We need to be doing things with our bodies. Otherwise, we are just all talk. Or maybe it just stays in our mind and it's just something, a nice thought. If we don't put into actions, if we, if we don't go and do likewise, 
We're not honoring Christ's command here. And the last one is the mind. Our, our thoughts need to change. We are not born knowing all that we need to know. That's why God gives us his word. That's why he gives us the spirit so that we can continually be learning and growing and absorbing more. And if we think that we know it all and that our country knows it all already and our world knows it all already on how to do reconciliation, on how to do healing, on how to do peace, on how to do unity, on how to do redemption. Like if we think that then right now what we're living with is as good as it's ever going to get. And we don't want that from our politicians and our lawmakers and our police. We don't want that from our majorities or minorities. We don't want that from Christians. We don't want that from people who don't believe in a God. We want everyone to be recognizing that we need to learn and grow. And so we should let it start with us. We study God's word first, get our foundation. We open ourselves up to the world and say, okay, what's happening out there? How do I compare it to what I see in God's word? How can I go and do likewise? It's going to require a mental shift. We can't just think all the same things we've always thought and expect to act any differently. It won't. We won't. Nothing will change unless we love our neighbor with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. So that's the story Jesus shared. And I'll close with just one more passage. It's from the book of Hebrews and the writer of Hebrews, again, speaking to Christians who are really in very oppressive political regimes and places and gives them a word about standing when times are tough and about standing together with those who are going through tough times. And so I'd like to leave this as our, our closing thought, uh, as Jesus's kind of call to solidarity and call to love and call to go and do likewise. So Hebrews chapter 10, and we'll start with verse 30. And we'll go through verse 39. Hebrews 10, verse 30. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So God is the judge. He will judge. That's the fearful thing that we all recognize. No one actually gets away with anything. But we trust in the blood of Christ. We trust in grace that even though we're not perfect, that we rely on God and he will deliver us. So that statement is for God to be the one who delivers us. God to be the one who executes ultimate judgment. Not our job to judge. God's job. What is our job? The writer continues in verse 32. It says, recall the former days. Like, Do you remember the former days when after you were enlightened, like when you finally got it about God and faith, when it was like that aha moment, oh, God loves me and I can be forgiven and there's hope. Like, do you remember those former days? The writer says, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those who were so treated. So others were being exposed to public reproach and affliction, being partners with them. Verse 34, for you had compassion on those in prison. See that word, that heart, God's heart, compassion on those in prison. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. How, how relevant does that feel in light of what's going on in the country and the advice that's being given to Christians here? You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. 
Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And he quotes an ancient hymn here. He says, For in yet a little while the coming one will come, and he will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And the writer closes by saying, But we, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are of those who have faith and preserve their souls. It's all about eternal life. It's about where our soul is, and it's about letting our soul respond to God and being used, being willing to suffer public reproach and affliction and standing with those if it means standing up for what is right and if it means trusting God with the ultimate judgment. We work for change now, we work for righteousness, and we trust God with the judgment. We don't fight and attack and we don't run away. We simply stand in the middle, just like Jesus did, just like he calls us to. And we actually can have endurance and hope and confidence because he's in us, empowering us to do this. So church, I pray that you would take Jesus' advice, his example, and that we would find ways to live it out and to love our neighbor with our heart and soul and mind and strength. Because if we do, we will see God use us in the same ways that he worked through his son. We will see victory. We will see evil being overcome by good. But we cannot fall into the fight or flight mentality. We just need to see where Jesus is standing and stand with him. So may God bless you as you seek to be a neighbor to the world around you.